0: Somewhere in lower California where the resistance is stiffening at all times. This is Rebel HQ 487 Stroke Z. And uh, we're broadcasting once again from our fully lined Fortress of Purpitude here. We have aluminum foil covering the windows and we have lead covering all the walls so that nothing can enter or leave uh, except, of course, wit. Uh, well, Ryan is here, Jennifer's here, I'm here, the cookies are here, but there's no chocolate because I ate it all. <laughs> Where's my fucking parade? That's what I'd like to know. Let's get to first things first. Um, L.A. Mag uh, had a list of all the marches that are coming up, and I believe it will every week, and that's lamag.com. Um, I can't give you any of these because by the time this, we're recording this, by the way, and uh, if you just don't mind me slowing things down and getting a little bit serious a little early on, this is the day after the Bowling Green massacre was announced, and um, I know a lot of us are worried about the people in Bowling Green, um, I'm worried about the massacre. You know, Non existent massacres sometimes are the most destructive massacres of all because they play upon people's conscience and they uh they they let us know that a, a non a, a non event like this can affect us almost as much as something that actually happened. And uh Kellyanne Conway knows. Uh speaking of non-events, her inaugural um outfit, as I've discussed on the show, made me think back to a show called Where the Action Is when Paul Revere and the Raiders were on because <laughs> By the time you hear this, um, the Super Bowl will be over and the uh, New England Patriots will have uh, been in it. I don't root for them. I don't root for any team from Boston. You know my feelings about Boston teams. And by the way, if I love you people of Boston. I just want to say this. When the Vancouver Canucks lost to uh, the Bruins uh, several years ago in the Stanley Cup, um, there was a giant riot in Vancouver. And I said it then, and I'll say it again. When your team loses a championship to Boston, there's only one thing to do, and that's burn your town to the ground, cleanse it, and start over. (laughs) Uh, By the time you hear that, uh, this, uh, Kellyanne Conway will have uh, proven that she was dressed like one of the old um, Boston Patriots uh, logos from the 70s. When I was a kid, they were the Boston Patriots, and they didn't have any good players. Or they were never good, and I liked it better that way. then I could root for them a little bit. Patriots have won too many Super Bowls the Red Sox have won too many world series, and that 's my problem with the world that 's been the show Good night everybody peace um anyway l a mag has uh, been listing all the um upcoming marches i don't know if new york and uh chicago mag and all of them have but uh god bless them la mag has done too call to action um dot org. uh five calls.org is a website you can click on and it gives you five different uh subjects and calls you can make um against trumpism uh right away right here right now it doesn't take very long to do and um they're all collected in one place that's fivecalls.org and of course house.gov and senate.gov are where all of your elected representatives that are in uh, congress um have their emails and their telephone numbers and you can call them and email them and write them in what um tech people call snail mail what i like to call regular mail um you can write them ceaselessly and bombard them. And it works. It really does work. Um, believe it or not, um, we're going to talk about all the things that are working and uh, why um, protesting and writing and uh, lobbying the government works quite well. You've noticed that Betsy DeVos hasn't been nominated yet. Although I'm taking a chance by saying that uh, on, on Friday. Uh, here we go. We're going to jump right in here. Uh, Raul Peck, uh, the director of the brilliant documentary, I Am Not Your Negro, um, talks with James Baldwin and uh, a woman, oh my gosh, I've I've got her Twitter handle here, and it's DST Felix. Um, DST Felix uh, is uh, an author. And uh, a, a journalist, uh, the director, Raul Peck, made I Am Not Your Negro. We've been talking a lot about James Baldwin on the show. And um, it's something we're going to watch this weekend. And uh, uh, James Baldwin has so much insight and compassion into race. He was uh, not only an artist and a, um, uh, a writer, uh, an essayist, uh, a personality. Uh, uh, yeah, DST Felix. I, don't, I guess that's her name. Sorry to be so ignorant, about. I'm on our Twitter site now. Um, he also spoke uh, with great um, eloquence about race in this country, history and whatnot. He was also a gay man uh, who moved out of the United States. In any case, it's really worth your time uh, to listen to James Baldwin. Secondly, uh, Eyes on the Prize, which is a documentary from the 90s. Um, about the civil rights movement why do we bring it up this week greg well james baldwin and uh, eyes on the prize are very important in a week when uh it's, we're celebrating black history month and uh, the president and um, the, the press secretary spicer seem to have no idea who frederick Douglass is or if he's even dead um they both acted like he was alive this week and in essence he is uh and in one way i liked it because one it proved that um, their racist ignorance uh, dominates everything else in their um tiny um febrile minds but two uh it brought frederick Douglass back for uh, a good go round and everybody got to talk about him again and what an important figure he is and a couple of things you might not know about frederick Douglass. His father was white and his mother was a slave, but of course he was black because in the United States, if you have one drop of black blood in you, you're a black person. That's called white supremacy. That's called white privilege. Um, Barack Obama, mother was white and father was black, but he was a black person. So you see how it works. Um, and if you don't see how it works, you're probably listening to the wrong show and have a pee the frog uh, logo on your Twitter as your avatar. Uh, so Eyes on the Prize is on YouTube, and it's uh, for free to watch. Um, and it's in four long segments, so pace yourselves. But it would behoove you to educate yourself about the civil rights movement. If you think that marching and protesting and petitioning a government don't work, um, this will change your mind about that. Moving on, uh, this is from Taylor. And please write me. And thank you for everyone who's written me. I've had a million great emails. Uh, um, people write me very personal things, uh, and also very personal things on Uh, On Twitter as direct messages. I want to thank you all for having dialogue with me. I try to answer everybody. I don't get to answer everybody. Um, But so many people have been motivated to go out and protest. So many people are telling me their personal stories about being at protests. So many people are telling me about their personal family histories and stories. Um, about what's going on with them Whether they're the child of immigrants Or, or um, things they've dealt with In the military or in their personal lives And I can't tell you how meaningful it is to me And um, that's what I want to keep going Is I, I think this is bringing us all together in, um, in a way that maybe Wouldn't have happened Had, this, uh, had we hadn't had Nazi Germany thrust upon us um, Some are born great Some are born Nazis And some have Nazi Germany thrust upon them And I think we're in that third group there uh, this is from Taylor, uh, and he writes, uh, Greetings, Professor. Uh, or greeting, he wrote. Greeting, Professor. Well, greeting to you. Uh, I thought you might find this article interesting. Newly elected legislator in Rhode Island, a single working mom, won over a longtime incumbent on a progressive pro-labor platform, fired from the restaurant where she's been a waitress for eight years after the restaurant was getting complaints about her anti-male views. You know, if there's one thing that's the problem in this country, it's there's far too much anti-male views. Um, I think that men haven't been given a chance uh, to be as mediocre as they can be. Uh, I think that um, men haven't been given a chance to be um, reprehensible failures and sexual deviants. Um, uh, I, I just, I, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's some mouthy waitress uh, telling me how I'm supposed to act when I'm a man. Uh, here it is. And there's her picture, of course. Uh, let's see here. This is in the Boston.com. Uh, Providence, Rhode Island. I'm going to read you just a little bit here. Classic Cafe owner Raymond Byrd said Thursday he warned Providence Democratic Representative Moira Walsh that her vocal political discussions during her shift were interfering with her work. He said the final straw was a scathing online review of the restaurant that complained about Walsh. Boy, that Yelp will get you in the butt every time, won't it? (laughs) Two stars. My server never shut up about what an asshole Trump was, and I was trying to eat up a pastrami sandwich. Walsh said she got the job as a teenager and worked there for eight years before her firing last week. Um, let's see. Here's the, the quote that I wanted to read you. Uh, Walsh told the radio station it started with a posting she made on social media before Christmas saying, All my holiday chairs for women, femmes, and trans. The rest of you boys can kick rocks. Did my comments make men uncomfortable? Clearly, social change comes at the price of comfort. And if you're agitated, it means it working. Thank you, Taylor, for writing me that letter. Uh, he wrote, She's a badass role model. I look to, I look." forward to hearing more from her thank you uh jennifer gave me this from the bbc uh just so you don't think everything has gone uh completely to hell in a handbasket even though we have a a fresh new tornado of bullshit every 30 seconds um during the uh orange julius caesar administration or the uh well, someone said Caesar was a, a better administrator, that he's more like Caligula, but it ruins the joke, so fuck you. Uh, transgender Mayor Jess Herbst makes official history for Texas. The mayor of a small town in Texas has become the first transgender elected official in the state's history. Jess Herber, Herbst, who became mayor of New Hope last May, made the announcement in an open letter to the town's residents. As your mayor, I must tell you something that's been with me since my earliest memories. I am transgender, she wrote. Ms. Herbst was appointed mayor following the death of her predecessor. Since it's the BBC, I'm going to say predecessor, because it makes it more fun. She's previously been elected to the town council as an alderman and road commissioner, according to her statement on the New Hope website. I know that transgender people are just coming to light in our society, and we have made great strides in the past few years. My daughters have been adamant supporters Pardon me, of me, and are proud to tell people about their father is transgender. Ms. Herbst um, has been documenting her experience on her blog, jessherbst.com, jessherbst.com. As the mayor of the small Collin County town, she's the first known openly transgender elected official in Texas history. I will continue as mayor and hope to do the very best for the town. Um, transgender issues have made headlines in texas in recent months after republicans unveiled the so-called bathroom bill a proposal that bans transgender free people from using bathrooms of their choice what could be more important than banning people from using the bathroom of their choice oh maybe keeping white guys from being sexual perverts now nah, that's not as important uh, let's move on uh let's see here uh, now I want to get into the um, what happened the other day at the black history breakfast that Donald Trump com- uh, conducted with the two black people that he knows, Dr. Ben Carson and amarosa, uh from The Apprentice, not even Celebrity Apprentice. She was on the original Apprentice. That was OG Apprentice. I had the um, experience of meeting amarosa uh, several years ago, let's say 2007. I was working in the red carpet. Uh, I was working with the brilliant uh, Joan Rivers and, and Melissa, who's quite lovely, and um, they gave me a line, and I can't remember, it might have been, I don't think it was the SAG Awards. I'm, I'm struggling to remember which exact awards it was. She was at one of them, maybe one that they let TV people go to, so like the SAG Awards, and um, somehow they stuck me with her, and I was like, really? I got to interview Emma Rosa? And so I went over, and I was like, hi, how are you? And she was like, oh. And I was like, you're giving me attitude? Um, You're right above Kelly Wigglesworth uh, on the fame meter of reality television at this point. This was 2007. And um, I found her to be uh, uh, difficult. Let me put it this way. I interviewed Joan Baez. I interviewed Lynn Radgrave. I interviewed... uh, um, George Clinton of, funk, uh, of P-Funk fame. I, I got to interview uh, even um, uh, Bone of Bone Thugs in Harmony. Uh, I, I, got, I interviewed Enya. Um, I've interviewed a lot of people uh, on the red carpet. Stephen Colbert, uh, uh, Ricky Gervais. Uh, they're all very nice, all very professional. Amorosa gave me a boatload of tood. That's all I have to say about that. Um, It's so inconceivably patronizing uh, what he did, what he said. I mean, every moment of him, of course. But at the Black History Breakfast, he went, well, we're having this little breakfast here because it's Black History Month. And we're having a little breakfast And Amarosa's here. And she's great. And then he went into a diatribe about how everybody was mean to him all the time. And the press sucks. And how his shows have really great ratings. And he's the greatest president ever. Um, Let's see here. Uh, It was uh, as almost as good as the prayer breakfast he had the other morning with Arnold Schwarzenegger where he complained that Schwarzenegger's tanking the ratings of the celebrity apprentice that he used to be the helm of uh, before he had to stop to become president of the country. And he said to hell with it at a prayer breakfast, a national prayer breakfast. Donald Trump said to hell with it. If I have any Christian friends left that are listening. Uh, I know I'm awfully hard on Christians. Um, if you supported him because you thought he was going to back you up on abortion and hating on queers or whatever it is that your big Christian agenda includes, surely saying to hell with it at a, um, a prayer breakfast encapsulates everything that he's about. Um, disrespect, disregard, and uh, a complete annihilation of all social mores let's see here this is from i think my president's black does donald trump actually know who frederick Douglass was the president mentioned the great abolitionist former slave and suffrage campaigner during a black history month this morning but there's little to indicate here's what he said i'm very proud to know that we now that we have a museum on the national mall where people can learn about reverend king so many other things <sighs> Frederick Douglass is an example. Uh, Sometimes when you're reading Trump's quotes, when you listen to him, it's, of course, difficult because he stops and starts and you get this sort of weird post-Coke aphasia. Uh, But when you read it, it's like when you I don't know if you ever ate alphabet cereal when you were little and you'd pour them into the bowl. And sometimes a word would zoom by as it headed for the bowl. It would be like azimuth or something like that or portrock, you know, and you'd be like, is that a word? And then you think, oh, God, it is a word. Azimuth is a word. Um, that's when you read him, uh, the, the, the dropping, the, the, there's no conditional clauses, everything's all over the goddamn. Uh, if E.B. White was alive, he would come back and stab Donald Trump in the eye with a red pen. Uh, and so would Strunk, for that matter. Uh, Here's what he said. Um, who's done it? Uh, let's see here. Uh, so many other things comma Frederick Douglass is an example of somebody who's done an amazing job and is getting recognized more and more well he's been dead since ni- 1895 and yeah he did do an amazing job he was friends with President Lincoln uh he he uh, was an abolitionist of the highest order I, I believe I've read to you before uh, from his fourth of July speech he gave in Baltimore in the 1860s um He was one of the lions of the abolitionist movement and was able to access the parlors of the white middle class, let's be honest. And he was also a crusading journalist and W.B. Du Bois and him uh, and many others uh, uh, led, of course, the charge. Um, The fact that he says he's doing uh, doing and done an amazing job and is getting recognized more and more. um, We all know about him. I've talked about it before on the show when I was in fifth grade, Mr. Clark, my fifth grade teacher made all of us do a Black History Month presentation. And because all of us were white, we performed it behind a screen in silhouette. I'm not kidding. And this is 1970. San Carlos Heather School. We were the Heather School Colts. And um, uh, I remember a local writer came down from the Redwood City Tribune. I'm certain I've talked about this before on the show. And said that um, they wrote up the, the, the show. Right, and said, um, I thought it was unusual that an all white class performed this. And I remember Mr. Clark read the article to us in front of the class, and Mr. Clark had two moods, semi cordial and red faced rage. And he he played the piano, he was quite a good piano player, so he'd play for us and we'd all sing and shit. The one that I sang for you before, uh, Deep in the Forest, gay gypsy chorus, bright burning campfire, leaping before us, boom, chala lolly boom, chala lolly boom chala lala loo. That one was an, an amazing song for a class of 10-year-olds to sing. When you got to the boom, la lolly, ha-ha part, we got a little loud. In any case, Mr. Clark, I remember went, I don't think that the journalist had to mention that we were all white with that. <laughs> And I was pretty excited. I wrote the Ralph Bunch piece. I didn't get to perform in it. I wanted to be Willie Mays, but I think Scott Schaller was Willie Mays. But I wrote, uh, I, g- I think they gave me Ralph Bunch. So I went home to my World Book Encyclopedia, and I got out uh, B uh, volume. And I, I I copied, I didn't copy it, but I, you know, interpreted it on my own as a 10-year-old uh, about Ralph Bunch, who, of course, was the first black um to be uh, ambassador to the united nations and was an amazing scholar um and what was the Firesign theaters joke that brilliant brilliant joke How, how large is the baby that's 108 in lunar feet his incipient negritude ought to come as quite a surprise to his honorary agrarian parents ralph bunch and ida lupino um yeah don't don't ask uh so I knew about Frederick Douglass Thumb, And I don't remember how many women Black women were included to be honest I was lying in bed last night Racking my brain trying to remember The ten or so black people That we did in our Black History Month Tribute when I was ten years old And Willie Mays I remember Ralph Bunch, Booker T. Washington George Washington Carver and Harriet Tubman But I want to say oh, Louis Armstrong Uh and I want to say Lena Horne was in there. I can't remember. I know Harriet Tubman was, you know, a woman, but obviously now you would include, I think, um Dorothy Hyde. And now you would include Rosa Parks and Dorothy Hyde and uh, the Mothers of the Movement and uh, uh, Shirley Chisholm. I, I don't know if Shirley Chisholm was in our, she was a congressperson then. I don't think she'd run for president quite yet. Always Booker T. Washington and George Washington Carver were two black people that white people were allowed to learn about. Because uh, this is, mind you, uh, five years after Malcolm X was assassinated and two years after Dr. King was assassinated, and we weren't talking about Malcolm X in our show. I don't remember Malcolm X getting in that one. We might have had Martin Luther King because he was considered a civil rights leader, and that was okay with some white people. Um, Booker T. Washington, because he started... Um, uh, uh, not Tuskegee yeah because he started Tuskegee Institute and was an educator. Uh, and George Washington Carver because he was a scientist of immense renown um, and no he didn't invent peanut butter but he did come up with a million other uh, uses for peanut butter and President Roosevelt visited him personally how do you know this Greg I've watched the newsreel of it there's George Washington Carver at his laboratory and he comes out and in an open air roadster, FDR drives up, gets out and shakes hands with George Washington Carver. Because he dealt with science, he was acceptable as a black hero. Now, of course, you need to know about uh, Huey Newton and uh, H. Rapp Brown and Angela Davis and uh, uh, all of the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, there's so many important um, Figures and Black History Month to cover. Obviously, Louis Armstrong never loses his lustrous sheen. Um, What he did in American music is uh, monumental beyond all measure. In any case, getting back to uh, the matter at hand, which is... Papaya Pinochet. His grasp of black history includes two things. That his father tried to have them removed from buildings and that he did the same. And that he persecuted the Central Park Five who were eventually exonerated and called for their execution even though they were completely innocent. And as Frank Conniff pointed out, well, what what with throwing people out of his buildings in the Central Park Five... Uh, Donald Trump has certainly earned his place in Black History Month um, by being a noted racist. Um, the fact that the KKK backs him, the fact that David Duke was wildly excited uh, by the nomination of Jeff Sessions as attorney general. David Duke is a former head of the Ku Klux Klan in the United States. ought to give you a real good idea of how much knowledge um, Herr President is bringing to the table here. Uh, he's done an amazing job and is getting recognized more and more. I notice. Well, someone just sent the news to his desk that Frederick Douglass uh, was uh, a monumental and then they're going to love this one. Harriet Tubman. Right. He you know why he knows Harriet Tubman, because they were threatening to put her on the 10. And he said that was political correctness gone amuck. That was last year. Last year, he said that about Harriet Tubman, who brought dozens of people to freedom, including her own parents. Uh, got coshed in the head, almost died from it, never received a pension from the government. Um, when her husband, who had been in the Union Army, um, uh, died, the, the government removed his pension from her as well. That's how she was treated by this country. And she used to bring a gun with her, and sometimes people were reluctant to take the dangerous journey uh, all the way back uh, from the south up to the north on what they called the Underground Railroad. No, it wasn't a railroad, and no, you're not stupid for asking. It was a series of people who... Uh, hid people in houses and barns and they had to make a, a, a precarious network um, and, a, and a terrible journey through the South at the dead of night often and, and hide themselves from um, uh, patrols. Um, sometimes people were reluctant uh, to go with Harriet and Miss Tubman would wave the gun at them and said, you will go free or die. Um, Big. Let's see here. Harry Tubman, Rosa Parks, and millions more black Americans who made America what it is today. Big impact. you got to be kidding me. Within moments, he was off topic talking about some of his favorite subjects, CNN himself and his feud with CNN. Uh, we're going to come back to this in a second here. Um, Trump's comments about King were less transparently empty, but may have been stranger. Last month, we celebrated the life of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., whose incredible example is unique in American history. Trump said employing a favorite meaningless adjective, right? An incredible example. But this wasn't really about King, it was about Trump. You read all about Martin Luther King when somebody said I took a statue out of my office and it turned out that that was fake news. The statue's cherished. It's one of the favorite things, not my favorite things. And we have some good ones. Meaning we have some good statues. Is anyone following this? <laughs> this is like listening to a monkey type until Shakespeare's written. We have Lincoln, and we have Jefferson, and we have Dr. Martin Luther King. And I'm collecting and trading. I'm, I'm looking for Stalin. Uh, and I got two Mussolinis here that I'll trade for Hitler, if anybody's cool with that. I got a couple of Suardos. I'll trade him for a Sacarno And I got a Trujillo. And I got a little Manuel Noriega. It's not really a statue. It's more of a bust. Um, even beyond the strange aside about Douglas and the digression from King, his comments point to the superficiality of his engagement with African-American culture. He named the four most famous figures in black history with no meaningful elaboration. He was reading from a sheet. He was uh, at least able to name Tubman, unlike his vanquished rival, Gary Johnson, who did not know who Harriet Tubman was. Did not know who Harriet Tubman was. He was governor of New Mexico. In a way, Trump isn't totally wrong about Douglas getting recognized more and more. Although one is left to scratch, one's had it where precisely he noticed. Douglas' heyday of influence was the mid to late 19th century. Uh, This is from The Atlantic magazine. And if you go on The Atlantic magazine, Jennifer, hit me to this. um, You can read all of the articles he wrote for The Atlantic. The Atlantic had the great um, uh, wherewithal to print um, Frederick Douglass and... Uh, he may be better known than among the broadest swath of American public Thanks to the ascension into the pantheon of black history figures Taught in schools since the United States established Black History Month in 1976 Wow, so my fifth grade teacher was ten, five years, six years early I think it was Black History Week then, it might have been uh, It's a real and praiseworthy accomplishment for Douglas' name to keep spreading But the frequent and often valent crit- critique of Black History Month Is that it encourages a tokenist approach to African American culture, blah, blah, blah um, I'm going to move on here. George W. Bush recalled in, 20, uh, in 2002 how February was the month in which Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass were born, two men very different who ended slavery together. Bill Clinton uh, urged people to visit Douglass' home in Washington's Anacostia neighborhood at a time when it was well off the beaten path. H.W. Bush admired Jacob Lauren's depiction of Douglass. Ronald Reagan repot- repeatedly quoted Frederick Douglass in his own remarks and was fond of boasting Douglass was a Republican, which he was. The gulf between Trump and his predecessors is particularly poignant, of course, in the wake of the presidency of Barack Obama. When the museum Trump cited opened, Obama spoke, saying, as only he could have, yes, African Americans have felt the cold weight of shackles and the stinging lash of the field whip. But we've also dared to run north and sing songs from Harriet Tubman's hymnal. We've buttoned up our union blues to join the fight for our freedom. We've railed against injustice for decade upon decade, a lifetime of struggle and progress and enlightenment that we see etched in Frederick Douglass' mighty Leonine gaze. Compare that to, hey, this Frederick Douglass guy, I have heard a lot about him lately. Does he play second for the Yankees? Trump has a long spoken uh, black community in fundamentally instrumental terms. Forgive me if this goes on, but I feel it's important. From his business career to his political one, African-Americans were a monolithic demographic to be won and lost. The young real estate developer made headlines when the Trump organization was accused of working to keep blacks out of real estate developments. He settled the Justice Department without admitting guilt. Um, his father, Fred, of course, uh, the company appeared to have decided blacks were bad for business. And would drive out white tenants And so the Trumps allegedly opted to keep them out The reason why the Atlantic says allegedly Is because he settled um, Without admitting guilt During the campaign Trump viewed black voters With similar cool detachment They, them um, His box surrogates, Amarosa Most famous for appearing on The Apprentice Don King <sighs> Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, meanwhile, called on LeBron James, Beyonce and Obama when Trump spotted a black man at the rally in California. You may remember this one last summer. He called out, oh, look at my African-American African-American over here. Look at him. Are you the greatest? Are you the greatest? No, that would have been Muhammad Ali. When Trump decided uh, Announced a black voter outreach operation He delivered his message to overwhelmingly white Audiences in overwhelmingly white locales And employed a series of racist and outdated Stereotypes about inner city crime, poverty And lack of education In which he appeared to believe represented benign Patronization. His own aides Told reporters their political goal was to suppress Black votes by encouraging African Americans to sit the election out Trump won 8% Of the black vote Let that one sink in on Black History Month. According to exit polling, besting Mitt Romney showing against Barack Obama but falling well short of the recent GOP high-water mark in 1976 of 17%. He continues, uh, if you remember, I wasn't going to do well with the African-American community and after they heard me speaking and talking about the inner city and lots of other things we ended up getting, I won't go into details, but we ended up getting substantially more than other candidates who have run in past years. That's the Trump quote. And the Atlantic uh, uh, adds, he added somewhat misleadingly And now we're going to take it to new levels And then this is a line from The Atlantic But I wish I'd wrote it February might be Black History Month But every month is Trump History Month Then this because it was awesome This is from a site called One Hot Mess Jennifer Santa to me Frederick Douglass opens Twitter account From beyond the grave to troll President Trump It's gone now It's gone now It only lasted a day But here's a couple of the hot ones from Frederick Douglass from Beyond the Grave. So, excuse me, Uh, he said he's done an amazing job and is getting recognized more and more, I noticed. Um, So Frederick Douglass tweeted, um, my autobiography, Life and Times of Frederick Douglass is the number one bestseller on Amazon. Four times better sale than Art of the Deal. P.S. I'm dead. Hope you like everything I did for women's suffrage. Even the losers, haters, and flat-chested fives. Enjoy. Um, by the way, Victoria Woodall, the first woman who ran <coughs> excuse me, for president in the 1870s, selected Frederick Douglass as her running mate, much to his surprise. It came as news to him. Uh, she was a rich uh, white woman uh, from a, um, a wealthy family, and she'd made her own fortune as well. Um, uh, here's another one. Appreciate real Donald Trump's congrats on the amazing Capitals job I did to secretly educate myself and other slaves while still living under slavery in Maryland. My work is finally being recognized! Exclamation uh, point. Your uh, at Capitals fake national security immigration ban goes against everything I stood for when I was alive 122 years ago. A horrible mess! And then finally... I will be asking for an investigation into the massive voter fraud that led to black people and women not voting for the entire first half of U.S. history. Um, if you want to read them, they're all at um, a site called One Hot Mess, uh, and it was genius. Now, on to the heroes and all the good things that are happening. Um, this happened uh, this week. You may have heard about it. The Muslim band uh, uh, that happened last weekend, subsequent to me, uh, uh, podcasting from uh, Vermont. Um was is of course a wildly unconstitutional racist and violates about a thousand different tenets of the constitution the separation of church and state um, there's several articles that say you can't even do this um, he singled out muslims in particular uh, which will remind you of um, nazi germany singling out jews in particular let's not make too fine a point of it uh, i'm not trying to use a bludgeon here i'm saying this is how it starts um, on that note i'm going to go to this for a very brief second and then come come back to the point that i want to make um not about eric trump and uh oh foo! it's not there how oh, kittens all right never mind uh the the, the signs of a rising fascism are easy to see uh first, one group is demonized uh, then. Um, newspaper journalists will spend time writing articles about why they're demonized and what's going on and this is crazy. Um, that's how it begins. And then the next thing you know, um, there's trucks coming to your house and the camps and people disappeared in the middle of the night. The next thing you know, never mind trucks and camps, the next thing you know, people who are legal residents of the United States, some of whom are genuine U.S. heroes, some of whom have green cards, some are citizens, are not allowed to come back into the United States because he has a racist ban, because he knows that people react to the word Muslim, because all Muslim are cast as terrorists in this country um we've been stopping professors doctors uh vital people in the co- uh, um, academics uh, vital people in the cogs of american society it's an absolute scandal and much uh to um all of our Credit in this country. People went out in their numbers to the airports and uh, a a number of women judges ruled uh, immediately, uh, upturning the ban in a bunch of places. Um, Cities have taken it upon themselves, particularly uh, San Francisco, uh, uh, to sue the government over the illegality of the ban. The Muslim ban is um, absolutely revolting in every way. But the first person that reacted was the acting attorney general, Ms. Sally Yates, who's from the south. And uh, Ms. Yates considered resigning. Um, but she concluded doing so would only defer a difficult decision to a temporary successor who now is in um, what Ms. Yates did was um, write that she did not want um, to. In- she, she was not going to enforce the law because she found it as attorney general unconstitutional. He called her um, uh, ruling a betrayal. Understand that um, betrayal is a very big word with the Russian government. Putin adores the word betrayal. It's a real KGB keyword. What they do with anyone who disagrees with them is call them a betrayer. They betrayed you. They betrayed America. They betrayed our patriotism. They betrayed keeping America safe. Um, Sean Spicer insisted the ban was about keeping Americans safe. It's not. It's about playing to racists. Um, America is much less safe if you uh, enact a Muslim ban, particularly against selected countries, and not the countries where many of the 9/11 hijackers came from. And we'll get to all those salient facts in a second. I wanted to read you this about Miss Yates. Um, two years ago, in her confirmation hearing, um, uh, before she was Attorney General, she took over for um, Yvette Clark. Uh, she was interviewed by, of all people, um, Jeffrey Boregard Sessions the Third. Um, the Alabama Republican, and he's up for attorney general right now. And he asked uh, Ms. Yates, if the views the president wants to execute are unlawful, should the attorney general or the deputy attorney general say no? I believe the attorney general or deputy attorney general has an obligation to follow the law and constitution and give their independent legal advice to the president. Ms. Yates replied, and Mr. Sessions was satisfied with that answer. The attorney general is an independent counsel working within the government. They are not to rubber stamp what the president says. Um, The fact that he fired her will give you an idea of what an autocratic tyranny looks like. This happened um, in 1973 when uh, Independent Counsel uh, Archibald Cox uh, was um, uncovering many Watergate facts about Richard Nixon. Uh, He asked the White House to uh, give him a bunch of documents and in response, Richard Nixon fired him. Um, After that, uh, I can't remember who the first attorney general was. Was it Elliot Richardson? uh also refused uh to fire what he did was he wanted him fired so he asked the attorney general to fire him um the attorney general refused and he was fired the deputy attorney general also refused i believe it was elliot richardson refused to fire archibald cox nixon fired him um uh uh william ruckelhaus uh refused to fire um Archibald Cox and Nixon fired him. They got a third person in named Robert Bork, who you may remember was nominated for the Supreme Court uh, during the Herbert Walker administration and was considered too radical and right wing to be on the court and was um, his nomination was uh, not approved. And David Souter was the one who got in. On the back of that, who turned out to be quite an independent minded little justice. So there is precedent for this and it's illegal precedent. When Nixon did it, he overreached beyond, beyond, beyond. He fired both the attorney general and the deputy attorney general to get his way. Um, And that's exactly what's happened uh, this week. Uh, Ms. Yates, of course, is a hero for doing this. And let's see here. Uh, After 9 p.m. Monday, three hours after she ordered department lawyers not to defend the president's position, a White House courier arrived with a copy. Of her dismissal letter. And it was from John Stefano, an assistant to Mr. Trump. I am informing you the president has removed you from the office of deputy attorney general of the United States. She was not attorney general. She was acting attorney general. Um, Let's go through some of the women here uh, and, and and some of the awesome men that have been so unbelievably great about this. At the airport protests on uh, January 28th and 29th, uh, the New York City Taxi Drivers Union, who has 10,000 Muslim drivers, refused to come to JFK. And one wag tweeted, and it was the funniest thing I ever saw. Um, this is so bad that um, it's made New Yorkers do what they never want to do. Go to JFK when they don't have to. That's how many people were protesting there and all across the country, by the way, and in red states as well. Um, not just liberal elites go to these things and not just firebomb throwing commies of the far left. Um, you'll find real Americans go. And sometimes real Americans are from Arab countries. How about that? Judge Ann Donnelly was appointed by Obama. Um, she made one of the rulings. Um, I've got an article about her that we'll get to. Uh, the first judge, however, was uh, Dolly G, and she filed on behalf of an elderly Iraqi. And by the way, for your information, Dolly G is the first Chinese-American federal court judge in U.S. history. Get right on that, the United States. How long have we been importing Chinese people into the country? Um, I believe they built the railroad here in California and had to set charges through the Sierra Nevada mountains at their great peril. And and so Dolly G is a a hero. Um, The American Civil Liberties Union had a a battery of lawyers, but lawyers of all stripes in all cities and all over the United States rushed to airports and set up temporary uh, um, desks to help legal people. They're still there. Um, They're still at LAX right now. Um, Mayor Garcetti, um, uh, six days after being detained at LAX and sent back to Iran under Trump's uh, order, Ali Viaghan, V A Y E G H A N Vygon uh becomes the first uh allowed back after the legal challenge. And uh, the mayor was there to greet him. Um it's a very important issue. Um there's a gigantic uh part of LA that's Iranian. Um they, there is a section of LA called Tarantulas by us locals here. Um you may have watched the show what's it called? The Cons of What's it, Sean Bravo? the shahs of sunset that's a, that's an iranian family located here in la if you want to get in touch with that feeling um in any case uh everybody there's so many lawyers that are heroes and showed up uh, on a pro bono ad hoc basis to offer legal advice. Mind you, one woman has died already. uh, And after being in church, she was too old. People have been kept from their medicine. Um, Children, the the government was uh, unable to explain why um, chaining a five-year-old to a chair and keeping them there for a couple of days was protecting American society. Uh, They just keep insisting in that um, bald-faced way they have of lying that it's about protecting Americans. It's not. It's about abusing uh, Muslims. And let's be honest, um, if there's one thing that you could use as an ISIS recruiting poster, it would be uh, um, a, children, a child chained to a chair um, in America being detained against their will when their family is legally entitled to come here. Uh, in Atlanta, Representative John Lewis and Representative Hank Johnson went to the airport immediately on the night. And uh, Logan, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, showed up, I believe, the next day, was it? In Dallas, Mayor Mike Rawlings said, from the bottom of my heart, I apologize to those detained this weekend and their families. Um, on another note, and Mayor Mike Rawlings has been awesome, as you know, during the shooting that happened in Dallas um, uh, on another note, Texas is fixing to not have any sanctuary cities and make that a law, uh, whereas uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Garcetti announced yesterday, in fact, when Mr. Bayegan was let back in that L.A. is going to be a sanctuary city. What does that mean? That means that um, if you think you're going to be deported, you can come to the city and not be deported. Um, at Dulles, which is in Washington, the governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, who held an extraordinary impromptu press conference on the night um, where he looked like he was um, jumping out of his skin with uh, grief and uh, hysteria over this inconceivable ruling. Cory Booker was at the Elizabeth uh, Detention Center. He, he drove from New York to Washington uh, to attend several uh, different uh, to go to several different airports. Uh, Cory Booker has been wildly active on this. Jerry Connolly from Virginia. Representative Jamie Raskin from Maryland and Representative Don Bear from Falls Church, Virginia, uh, were also at Dallas Airport. At JFK, uh, you may have heard uh, Representative uh, Nidia Velasquez and uh, Jerry Nadler our two congresspeople from New York who were there immediately. And they probably really, really started the ball rolling on this one because they showed up immediately. uh, um, They bowled their way in. They wouldn't take no for an answer. And they got uh, people uh, released. Uh, At the time, uh, this is a a little, this is a couple days old. He was able to get two Iraqis out of detention on the 28th that had worked for the U.S. military. Um, They have been amazing. Um, Yvette Clark, who I erroneously stated was the former attorney general, Uh, is a congressperson from New York Uh, at JFK were uh, Hakeem Jeffries, Yvette Clark, Gregory Meeks, and Adriano Espayat. in Houston. Tom Perez was there and the mayor, um, Pete Buttigieg. Yes. His name is Pete Buttigieg. It's spelled so unbelievable that it had to be spelled out for me here as phonetically. So people are standing up everywhere in LA, our own Ted Liu, uh, who's a congressperson from here, um, Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon was there on the night and was amazing about this. The Speaker of the Assembly is a very important position in California, probably the second most important political position past governor, I would think, because the Assembly is a giant body here. And because we have so many people and so many districts, um, Willie Brown, who was a mayor of San Francisco and um, helped run uh, Jesse Jackson's campaign in 84 and 88, um, was Speaker of the Assembly and a very powerful one. Um, it's, a, it's a wild post here. You have... Let me... What does what Al Pacino say in The Devil's Advocate? It puts you at the head of all tables. Um, everyone takes your call because you represent farm places. You represent cities. Um, you're generally, uh, you are generally uh, swing, swing a biggie. Uh, the L.A. study attorney, Mike Feuer, um, called it a breathtaking violation of rights. Uh, Eric Garcetti was there, and I, as I said, representing Maxine Waters. And Maxine Waters does nothing but kick ass. I don't know how big her book is, because I don't know how many more names she can take. Uh, Robert, Judy Chu and Nanette Berrigan um, tried to help a student on board a Norwegian Airlines flight. Um, this one you'll love. Custom officials hung up on them, and the Norwegian staff hid from them while they were trying to get someone off an Norwegian airlines flight in Philly, which was another hotbed of all this Senator Bob Casey showed up and was awesome. Uh, Senator Tom Carper from Delaware, representative Lisa Blunt from Rochester and the governor, Tom Wolf also showed up as well in San Francisco, our Lieutenant governor, Gavin Newsom. Uh, he was at the airport immediately, uh, and, and seeing what he could do. And I don't know if you watched any video, it's worth it to go back and watch a lot of these representatives and lawyers, um, are being fronted and blocked by uh, airport security people and are having to blag their way in and say, I am a representative of the U.S. government. I want to go back and talk to these people. And the Trump administration is not um, complying with um, the bans that were lifted by these various judges. And that's what you call a constitutional crisis when the federal government issues an edict. The edict is overturned by the courts. You may remember there are three branches of government, the judicial, the legislative, and the executive. So an executive exis- issues an order. The judicial branch upturns that order. Um, then the um, executive branch is forced to comply with that order until another edict is issued by the judicial branch and or some uh, conclusion is made on that. And they're not. And that's what a constitutional crisis is. When one of the branches refuses to abide by the law of the other two branches, that's called a rogue government. And Seattle, Lieutenant Governor Cyrus Habib was there uh, on MSNBC. Jim Walsh, a senior research associate at MIT, said this. We're talking about keeping America safe. Sean Spicer said it a million times. Uh, and you're going to hear it a million more times. Why? Because it's a lie. As I've said before on the show, um, there's no voter fraud. And let me say this one to you again. There is no terrorist threat. There is no terrorist threat. There is no terrorist threat from Muslims coming into this country all terrorism is homegrown, baby. We don't have to We don't have to import them. First of all, if you were going to be a terrorist and you were going to come to the United States, the last thing you would do would be to go through this gigantic vetting process that takes forever. And four years ago, the vetting process was stalled, as you recall, and President Obama issued an order that put 50,000 Iraqis who had been applying uh, to come to America back in line. So they had to be vetted again. So the idea that people are just wandering into this country is fallacious. It's as fallacious as the fact... Um, that um, people are voting two and three times. The only people that are voting two and three times are people like Steve Bannon, who are registered in two states. Um, The MIT security study program said this, covering 1975 to today, does that enough room for you? The risk of an American being killed by a refugee is one in 3.6 billion. So if that doesn't sleep safely, my darlings, no refugees are coming to kill you. If anything, we're not taking enough refugees into this country. We have wild resources. Com- compare Germany or, 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 or uh, other European countries, France, that have taken way more refugees than we have. Greece, which has no infrastructure and is forced to put them out on islands under tarpaulins. Turkey, a lot of countries have dealt with a lot more refugees than we have. If anything, we're being heartless about this from the jump uh, on top of this horrible ban. Most victims of religious extremism are Muslim. Muslims kill more Muslims than anyone else. Uh, And then he actually had the temerity to say, well, we'll let Christians in. Like Christians are some paragon of virtue and Muslims aren't. The blood boils and the mind boggles. And uh, my brain is full of marbles. Let's move on. Are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites, and now you can. ZipRecruiter already has 9 million resumes you can search through in their database. You can add multiple people to your account to make the most efficient for your team to find the best hire. With ziprecruiter.com, You can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. ZipRecruiter is a search engine for finding and posting jobs. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person fast. If you have any issues, ZipRecruiter's friendly and human support staff is ready to help. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses, as featured on Forbes, Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, The New York Times, TechCrunch, and CBS. ZipRecruiter's website shows trending career fields, cities, and searches. And right now, smartest men in the world listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com smart. That's ZipRecruiter.com smart. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com smart. I thank you, and the Smartest Men in the World podcast thanks you. On behalf of all the smartest men in the world. Um, let's see here. This is a list of things that have happened in the last two days. <laughs> but because we're moving at a lightning's pace here, uh, it's very difficult to keep up with everything that's going on. I don't ask you uh, to keep up with everything that's going on. In fact, let's slow down for a second and look at another person who's being a hero this week. Um, the, the, the editor-in-chief of Reuters News Agency is named Steve Adler. And uh, like every other uh, news agency, they've been having great difficulty uh, interpreting and getting access to um, the madness of King Orange. And he has a particular (coughs) bone uh, with CNN, which I don't understand why. Um, As I've said before in the show, I felt that they sucked up to him and gave him more free time. All you had to do during the election was turn CNN on to see an empty podium with the word Trump running in front of it and wait two hours for something to happen. And they'd come in and go, great, amazing, terrific, we're doing a terrific, amazing job. Oh, look, a Negro. Um, It 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 Heinous, beyond measure. Um, uh, Calling everybody fake news and saying that reporters are some of the most dishonest people. That's an actual quote from Donald Trump. Reporters are not some of the most dishonest people. Reporters are some of the most intrepid and necessary people in American society. Media outlets... And giant corporations that control media outlets are not to be trusted. Uh, however, reporters themselves, I believe, uh, most of the time, want to get the truth out. Now, on a news site like Breitbart, for instance, or InfoWars, um, those are completely fantastical. And what do I mean by fantastical? I mean they are fantasy, like H.P. Lovecraft is fantasy. Cthulhu didn't exist, and a pizza parlor with a child prostitution ring out of it under Hillary Clinton's control does not exist okay those are i'm talking about empirical facts versus nonsense and racist inflammatory hateful nonsense um i want to read you a little bit of what steve adler wrote about how reuters is going to be covering and by the way he wrote this what are we on day 13 this was yesterday the first 12 days oh now we're on day 15 don't make me do addition i'm not very good at math but i'm amazing at talking uh, the first 12 days of the Trump presidency, and I sound more like Alan Arkin. I realize that. I don't. I do don't. President Trump like what if he was Alan Arkin. Amazing. We're doing a good job. My fingers are much bigger in person than they are when you look at them on a podium. The first 12 days of the Trump presidency, yes, that's all it have been, exclamation point. Oh, Steve, don't use an exclamation point. You're a news writer. Have been memorable for all. It's not every day that the president calls journalists among the most dishonest beings on earth and that his chief strategist dubs the media the opposition party. That's Bannon, the Nazi. Um, So come and get me, by the way, if you don't like me using the word Nazi. Explain to me how he's not a Nazi and then I'll stop saying it. Let's call him a white supremacist then if you want to split hairs. Can we agree that he's a white supremacist? Let's also say that he's not a good dresser and he should have a razor in his possession with which to shave his face. And uh, we've advertised for Warby Parker here. You can get yourself a hip pair of frames, bro. You don't have to wear the pervert glasses. What, um, What is the Reuters' answer? To oppose the administration, to appease it, to boycott, to use our platform to rally the media. All of these ideas are out there. We already know what to do because we do it every day and we do it all over the world. And this is the part I wanted to read. Reuters is a global news organization that reports independently and fairly in hundred over 100 countries, including many in which the media is unwelcome and frequently under attack. I am perpetually proud of our work in places such as Turkey, the Philippines, Egypt, Iraq, Yemen, Thailand, China, Zimbabwe, and Russia. Nations in which we sometimes encounter some combination of censorship, legal prosecution, visa denials, and even physical threats to our journalists. We report to all of these by doing, respond to all of these by doing our best to protect our journalists, by recommitting ourselves to reporting fairly and honestly, by doggedly gathering hard to get information, and by remaining impartial. We write very rarely about ourselves and our troubles. You can see what he's referring to there. And very often about the issues that will make a difference. So here's the rules they're going to do. Do's. Cover what matters in people's lives and provide them with the facts they need to make better decisions. Become ever more resourceful if one door closes. Open another of information, they mean. Give up handouts and worry less about official access. There were never all that valuable anyway. Our coverage of Iran has been outstanding and we have had virtually no official access. What we have are sources. I said it last week in Vermont and I'll say it again. What reporters do is go to people and talk to them. Sometimes the people can't give their name because they work for a government agency or they are too highly placed or whatever the reason is, it would endanger them and those are called sources. Reporters are loath to reveal them because when they are exposed they are no longer a source and then they're in danger. That's what journalism is. Journalism isn't re- journalism isn't Trump administration great according to Trump administration or the Bowling Green Massacre that took place that was also tragic and so many Muslims killed so many Americans. Well, the Bowling Green Massacre, according to Kellyanne Conway, took place. It never did. It's an incident that happened three years ago. I'll let you read about it on your own. Um, they keep yelling everything is fake news. Um, but remember, we already had a word for fake news and it's called propaganda. And that's what you're being fed by them all the time. Keep the Thomson Reuters trust principles close at hand. And these are, these are those. The integrity, independence and freedom from bias at Reuters shall at all times be fully preserved and get out in the country and learn more about people live, what they think and what helps and hurt them and how the government and its actions appear to them, not to us. Can you believe he wrote this yesterday? This is a, the head of a Reuters agency. Never be intimidated, but don't pick unnecessary fights or make the story about us. Don't vent publicly on what might be understandable day-to-day frustration. Don't take too dark a view of the reporting environment. It's an opportunity for us to practice the skills we've learned in much tougher places around the world and lead by example, and therefore to provide the freshest, most useful, and most illuminating information and insight of any news organization anywhere. Now, we can all take those principles to hand, Uh, And get organized, talk to people around us, find out what's really going on. Be sure to view everything you read with a healthy dose of lateral thinking. Think how it could not be true. Think how it might be advancing the position of the people who have written it. Who are you talking about, Greg? Um, Television news, uh, newspaper journalists. Also, anything that Sean Spicer or Kellyanne Conway or Hope Hicks or anyone has to do with the White House says. Look at what they're saying. Don't just accept that it's a fact. We can't anymore. We're in a fact-free society with fake news and alternative facts. So since the White House invoked and installed and... Has been determined to say there's such a thing as alternative facts. We can only presume that they are using them all the time. So vet everything you hear. Chris Silesia, who is not a reporter I enjoy and one I've disagreed with and one I would have ripped off the air if I'd had the chance uh, during the election, writes a column called The Fix uh, for The Washington Post. Why am I reading from him? Because I can disagree and dislike uh, different reporters and also understand that Chris Silesia is wired. And he has sources inside the White House. And this is what he wrote this week. Here are a few leaks that have come out in the last 24 hours. By now, they'll be five days old. President Trump hung up on Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, who I believe, if you watch TV, Sean Spicer called, what was it? Twimpish? Twompish? He called him him Turnish, Turnip or something. He got his name wrong. Sean Spicer is like having your 8th grade gym teacher give out the news. And by the way, my 8th grade gym teacher was a genius. I, I, I'm diminishing my 8th grade. That was my ninth grade gym teacher, Mr. Jazanica. What a genius the man was. Uh, I remember once Mr. Jazanica said, um, what we want in this class is homogeneity. Does anyone know what homogeneity is? And of course, because we're all guys in high school, it was boys gym, no one wanted to raise their hand. <laughs> Finally, one guy went, you want everyone to be the same. <laughs> I want you all to be homogenes. Then at one point, Mr. Zanucka said, now it's time for the midterm lateral reversal. And that meant we were just going to flip our our white and red T-shirts from one side to the other. And everybody went, what's that, Mr. Zanucka? He was far too intelligent to be a, a PE teacher. I have no idea why he was a PE teacher. He made me cry laughing. I stole a Jersey on my first day in PE because someone had stolen mine and I stole someone's Jersey that said Wilson. So I didn't wear Proops the whole semester. And that was a different PE teacher. Oh my God, that teacher couldn't have found his, he couldn't have found his coolie with a map. And he called me Wilson the whole semester. And then when he took the role, he go Proops. And I would go here, and then I was, well, there was no proofs ever in class, it was just Wilson. And I would run, we would play soccer, which I hated because the ball would hit me in the glasses and wrap my glasses around my head. I would run behind the stands, and, um, and I would carry my pipe full of dope in my pocket, so I had the lighter and my pipe, and then when I would get back there, all the black kids who'd been sent from East Palo Alto to integrate my lily-white high school, of which we had what, fourteen, fifteen hundred 1,500 students, they sent 400 black kids to our school. Yes, we had riots, I've told you about that on the show, but we would get high behind the bleachers, and then I would run back out and go, yay, like I was in the game. I can't remember that PE teacher's name. Oh, that poor guy. He was such a nit. He called me Wilson. <laughs> and all the kids in class called me Willie the whole semester, <laughs> even though they knew I was proops. Uh, here's what he said. Uh, Malcolm Turnbull, after condemning a refugee deal with the country and telling Turnbull this was the worst call by far he'd had with a world leader, he also hung up with him. And by the way, it was the end of the day and everyone said he was tired. Trump threatened. His administration's assistant. It was lighthearted that Mexican President Enrique, Enrique Peña Nieto was sending American troops into his country. You may have heard that one. He said, you got a lot of bad hombres down there, and if you don't deal with it, we're going to send the army in. Then later, the White House said it was a joke. Like how when they were <laughs> they, really incompetent, they say it's a, a joke. Uh, the White House asked Judge Thomas Hardiman to drive towards Washington, D.C. to amp up the drama in advance of Trump's Supreme Court pick on Tuesday night. I'm not kidding. Neil um, Gorsuch was given the nomination but the White House asked um, Judge Thomas Hardiman Who was on the short list, To drive down So it would be more like a reality show So that the reporters would think Oh my God, Hardiman's driving down Is it going to be Gorsuch or Hardiman? You remember Pryor And a, a, another judge whose name I, Escapes my mind right now I talked about last week on the show I, um, Silesia wrote um, This is not only the leakiest White House I've ever seen But that the leaks Purposely or not Cast the president as a child By the way, Silesia was not a a Hillary person during the election. He was one of those, you know, insider types who thought she was crooked and B, 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 B. So that's why I'm reading you this. And this is his column published in The Washington Post. I'm not making it up cast the president as a child who badly needs to be managed. What's truly remarkable is that he, as that the leaking appears to be growing even more frequent and more deleterious to president Trump's image within the last few days. This is an insider for the Washington post who covers the white house, who has sources inside the white house. And he said three days, five days ago. Now this is the leakiest white house he's ever seen. The first two leaks are partial transcripts of phone calls between Trump and world leaders. How many people have access to those transcripts and who working for Trump could possibly think it's a good idea to leak out transcripts that show Trump attempting to bully two staunch allies? This explanation making the rounds on Twitter doesn't help Trump either. The third leak, to me, is the most baffling. Press Secretary Spicer spent a decent chunk of his briefing on Wednesday disputing media reports that Hardiman and Gorsuch had both been encouraged to come to Washington in a cannonball-run-like competition to fill the vacant seat on the highest court in the country. Which makes this sentence, and it's sourcing, from Maggie Haberman, again, someone I've, I've banged on on the show. Maggie Haberman is the editor, the news editor at the New York Times. I haven't found her to be fair and impartial, but... These are strange times we live in. And you're finding that reporters who once found that they had a terrible latitude to uh, smack on Hillary Clinton all they liked now find themselves up against an autocratic tyrant who's threatening their very livelihood. Um, And so they're growing a, a, a giant, giant, giant female member. Maggie Haberman and Glenn Thrush said this from The New York Times. Three administration officials who do not want to be identified said Judge Hardiman hit the road to Washington to help them maintain the illusion the selection process was still competitive. Three administration officials. These are not people opposed to Trump. This is not the loyal opposition. These are people who work within Trump's administration. People his and him and his team hired to help him run the country. And this people a uh, trio of people are confirming information that makes it very clear. The president wanted to run a Supreme court announcement like a cliffhanger episode of reality TV while the leaking. Now we get into theory. This is conjecture. This is why Chris Silesia thinks this is happening. One Trump only really listens to things once they're presented to him via the media. What does this mean? Now let me break that down for you. He does not read. He does not read position papers. He does not read code books. He does not read the massive amount of information that is given to a president in each day. Now, Barack Obama and Bill Clinton, as you know, diligently, and I presume George Herbert Walker uh, Bush as well, because he was a lifetime public servant and had been the head of the CIA, spent all night reading code books. What are code books? Code books are information given to you by the various branches, the National Security Administration, the NSI, uh, 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 the CIA, the FBI, um, overseas generals, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Anything you can imagine, the Pentagon, debriefing, debriefing. What does that mean? Information that you have to absorb and understand to put a picture together of a giant situation, sometimes inconceivably complex situations, like, for instance, Yemen, which we'll get into in a minute, which we were kicked out of two years ago uh, and has been a a complete strategic place for us um, in gathering information in the Middle East and things like that. So he doesn't read. That's what uh, we're getting from this column here. Trump campaign manager Kellyanne Conway acknowledged in the campaign the best way to get through to him was to talk on cable TV or to other reporters. So, in other words, he goes home. Well, he doesn't go home. He's at the White House and he's got a bunch of TVs on. I see him CNN because CNN gives him uh, that perverse inward boner. You know, when you hate something so much that you have to do it, like the tooth you can't stop fiddling with, even though it hurts. And then I assume Fox news because Fox news is basically state run TV. Now it's like, uh, uh what was the old uh, Russian newspaper when they were communist Izvestia, Izvestia uh, Isvestia and Pravda were the two mouth were the two organs of the communist party. Fox news is an organ of, um, the, um, uh, Clementine Kaiser, uh, administration. Uh, There's no indication Trump has changed his voracious media consumption habits since he formally entered the White House. So what what does this tell you? And I I don't like talking about old people um, in a denigrating way. But let's just get this straight. If you know an old person, and you probably do, um, let's make a couple of generalizations. Many times they prefer to talk over the phone rather than communicate electronically. And many times they prefer to watch TV uh, uh, over other forms of entertainment, say like looking at their phone all day. Um, I'm not saying this about all people, old people. I'm generalizing. I know my parents watched a lot of television, and that's where they got a lot of their news from. They also read papers, but I don't remember um, my mother going on the computer very much. She didn't like it. Now, are you using your mother as an example for all the rest of us in the world? No. No. You know what I'm getting at here. He's a 70-year-old man. He's watched TV his entire life. He's a TV junkie. Why is he a TV junkie? Because he was a TV star. And because his name is always on TV. It made him famous. When he hears his name on TV, he thinks that's what fame is. And he understands Twitter. So those are two things that he understands. About reading and comprehension, not so much. The idea of him staying up and reading a code book, the idea of him sitting through a a three-and-a-half-hour intelligence briefing with intelligence officers, not going to happen. Doesn't have the patience for it. Uh, is this a fact, Greg? No, I'm inferring this, and I'm uh, uh, from all of the things that I've read and all of the things I understand that that's how he gets his information. Um, it's un- it's uniquely possible. These leaks are aimed at reining him in. How about that theory? Showing him that when he acts like this with say world leaders, it makes him look bad. That people within the White House, according to Chris Chelios' theory, are leaking this information to the media, like things like. Judges racing each other to the nomination of the Supreme Court in cars. (laughs) This week on the great Supreme Court race, it's Judge Hardiman versus Judge Gorsuch. Who's got more Confederate bumper stickers on the back of their BMW SUV? You'll find out on the great judge race. Tuesdays on NBC. Uh, There are senior there are people at senior levels. This is the second theory. Within the administration who have major concerns about Trump and his fitness for office, it is the long tradition of whistleblowers that they are using selective leaks to make sure that people know what is really going on inside the White House. Well, you know that a thousand people in the State Department this week have filed. I'm not... Rachel Maddow explained it quite clearly on her show the other day. There is a safety valve within the government that was installed in the 70s, whereby you can come forward. And if you feel that something unkosher is happening or more more to the point uh, the head of your agency right uh, say it's the fbi or, or or the state department for instance in this case um and the head of the state department is the secretary of state who in this case is rex tillerson um if you feel they're not doing something right um rather than go to your superior um uh, because you feel you've gone to your superior and they won't listen to you you can uh file a, a type of form an exigency form where Um, It goes directly to the head of the agency And you subvert everyone on top of you Who won't listen to your pleas and cries It happened during the Obama administration uh, About four or five years ago Some people didn't care how he was dealing with the Middle East And 34 agents within the State Department went and filed I can't remember the name of it I apologize As I said, Rachel Mowdow explained it quite clearly In any case, a thousand people in the State Department Have come forward um, in the last week About what's going on in the State Department And uh Let's see here. Back to Chris Silesia. Neither theory is a good thing for Trump. He's someone who's made very clear in the business world and in his brief stint in politics, that's his words, not mine, that he expects unflinching loyalty from his staff and he's not getting anything close to it right now. And I have to assume this is an assumption and a theory by Chris Silesia. Knowing what we know about him, it's driving him crazy. I'd say any sort of staff purge is unlikely this early in the presidency. Uh, A dissent letter. Is it called a letter of dissent? Um... I think it is Mm -hmm. if you look down on the uh, you're allowed to do it within your agency and you won't be penalized by your higher ups and you can't be fired for disclosing that information. That's what the dissent letter protection is under the law. Um, In other words, there was no way to go into that. A A dissent cable. You file one and then. Literally, the head of the State Department, the Secretary of State, and the Under Secretary of State, and all of the juniors below them, are given this dissent cable, and they have to respond to it personally. It's a it's a safety valve the government put in, um, and uh, it's been used by a thousand members of the State Department this week. That's not a good situation. Is all I'm saying. There, here it is. One example, thank you, Jennifer, this is from the Boston Globe, suggested the sentence should simply end in lasting shame. The decision to restrict the freedom of Japanese Americans in the United States and foreign nationals who wanted to travel or settle in the United States during the 40s has been a source of lasting shame for many in our country. And uh, one diplomat thought that many in our country was like, really, we're not all ashamed that we did that to the Japanese. This is California, where... I guess we even know people who were interned. We personally know people from San Francisco. Uh, I don't know George Takei, but I stood in line next to him once and he was interred. Uh, This is from Reuters talking about the Yemen. The U.S. military said on Wednesday it was looking into whether more civilians were killed in a raid and, and on the Al-Qaeda in Yemen on the weekend, and the first operation authored by pres, authorized by President Donald Trump as commander-in-chief. You may remember what a shitstorm Benghazi was for Hillary. In this operation, which, by the way, was decided over dinner with Jared Kushner, that's Ivanka Trump's husband, and Steve Bannon in attendance, he... Uberted and did not go through all the regular intelligence channels. It was a mission that was thrown out there. It was very dangerous. I'll read you a couple details. Navy SEAL William Ryan Owens was killed on a raid at the branch of the Al-Qaeda known as the AQAP in al Baida province, which the Pentagon said also killed 14 militants. Medics said 30 people, including 10 women and children, were killed, including one American girl, as you know. The U.S. Central Command said in a statement the investigating team had concluded, regrettably, civilian noncombatants were likely killed. It was said children may have been among the casualties. They were. U.S. military officials toward Reuters Trump approved the first covert counterterrorism operation without Sufficient intelligence, ground support, or adequate backup preparations. The U.S. military officials told Reuters Trump approves the first covert tenor- counterterrorism operation without sufficient intelligence, ground support, or adequate backup preparations. This is a rogue person acting baselessly. President Trump uh The Pentagon directed queries about the officials' characterization of the raid to the U.S. Central Command, which pointed only to its statement on Wednesday. CENTCOM asks for operations we believe have a good chance of success, and we ask for authorization when we believe there is a chance of successful operations based on our planning. How's that sentence read? And that's from the spokesman, Colonel John Thomas. Any operation where you put operators on the ground has inherent risks, he said. Mm Mm-hmm. White House officials said the operation was thoroughly vetted by the previous administration and the previous defense secretary had signed off on it in January. See, it's Obama's fault. The military officials who spoke to Reuters on condition of anonymity said a brutal firefight killed Owens and 15 Yemeni women and children. One of the dead was an eight-year-old daughter of Anwar al-Awlaki, a militant killed by a 2011 U.S. drone strike. The American elite forces did not seize any militants or take any prisoners off-site. The deadly U. Uh, we've switched to yeah the deadly U.S. raid may bolster the Yemen's Al Qaeda. This is from a, a uh, that was from a quote from the crisis group. Knowing that we killed an estimated 14 AQAP members and that we gathered an unbelievable amount of intelligence that will prevent the potential deaths or attacks on American soil is something I think most service members understand. And that's why they joined the service. That's what Sean Spicer said. A senior member of Yemen's Al Qaeda branch, Abdullah al-Dabab and other militants were killed in the gun battle. One of the three u s officials on the ground said the on, uh, said on the ground surveillance of the compound was minimal at best. The decision was made to leave it to the incoming administration, partly in the hope that more and better intelligence could be collected he, uh, the orange um, the tensure retirement traveled to Dover Air Force Base in Delaware on Monday in an unexpected visit to meet the family of owens who 'd been a chief special warfare operator New York Times. A couple more paragraphs and then we 'll move along, but I want you to know how important this is that Now we know that the mission had been planned in January by the Obama administration and that the central command thought that more research would be done till an optimum time could be found to perform this operation. Trump saw it, thought it'd be a great thing to do, to back up his Muslim ban, to show that he's a tough guy. And he got a bunch of women and children killed and one special forces officer killed. And Hillary is blamed, uh, in my opinion, unrightly uh, for Benghazi, Um, whereas, of course, you know, there were 16 attacks on embassies during the Bush administration, the W administration, and there was never one investigation about any of those. This is from The New York Times. As it turned out, almost everything that could go wrong did. And on Wednesday, he flew to Dobro. We saw that. Uh, the first military death on the new commander-in-chief's watch. The death of Chief Petty Officer William Owens came after a chain of mishaps and misjudgments that plunged the elite commandos into a ferocious 50-minute firefight that left three 300s wound, wounded and a $75 million aircraft permanently destroyed. There are allegations, which the Pentagon acknowledged, that most likely correct, that the mission had killed several civilians. The dead includes the eight-year-old daughter, Mr. Trump on Sunday hailed the first counterterrorism operation as a success, claiming the commandos captured important intelligence that will assist the U.S. in preventing terrorism against the sentence and citizens and people around the world. Uh, The judicial. uh, Moving on. Let's go to the Muslim ban here. We talked about all the awesome people that uh, representatives that rushed to the airport. Here are some of the judges. um, And this is from an article by Dahlia Lithwick. The judicial branch grabs back. Um, Donald Trump told Access Hollywood's Billy. Oh, you know what happened. Um, let's move in here and find the um Before interim Attorney General Sally Yates was promptly dismissed. It's hard to say whether she knew she'd be dumped for defiance, but her bold action showcased a trend that's becoming more and more evident by the day. Women are leading the resistance against trump what's more striking is that women of color are front and center in the opposition movement it's not just striking it's notable and it's not just notable it's not surprising at all because women of color led the charge against him through the entire election and women of color voted against him in their numbers um it's not surprising in any way that um women would recognize trump for what he is which is a bullying sexual predator who's bragged about the horrible things he's done to women um here are some of the events um maxine waters uh, called him a liar and a trickster last September. Uh, she said she had no intention of pretending everything is all right in December. You remember that one. Linda Sarsour, the executive director of the Arab American Association of New York, thrust into the spotlight when she was one of the primary organizers of the Women's March on Washington, had three more, which <laughs> awesomely had three times more people than Trump's swearing in ceremony. Um, she slammed Trump for his rallies, which she called racist, racism summits. After the Women's March, she was targeted by white supremacists on social media who claim she condemns Islamic terrorism. Censor is also one of the plaintiffs in a lawsuit filed last week by the Committee on the American Islamic Relations, CAIR, which we've talked about on the show, against Trump, the Department of Homeland Security, the State Department, and the director of the National Intelligence Agency. The suit claims his Muslim ban order is unconstitutional. Senator Kamala Harris, the junior senator, said... Uh, from california the issue of how we we're treating our immigrants and in particular our undocumented immigrants is one of the most critical issues facing our country um she hasn't backed down and uh, nor she would and she was going to fight the repeal of the aca uh let's see here she joined the women's march we're tired of women as women of being relegated to simply being thought of as a particular constituency or demographic we will stand up we will not retreat when being attacked we will stand up and we will fight she created a petition on her website to oppose the confirmation of Senator Sessions. We need an attorney general committed to equal rights for all, including women, people of color, and the LGBT community. It's clear after his confirmation hearings that person is jo- not Jeff Sessions. She also tweeted today, uh, on Friday, Trump ordered an edict that he wanted women to dress like women in his White House. And uh, Kamala Harris tweeted, uh, picture of a woman astronaut, picture of a woman soldier, a picture of a woman judge, picture of a woman lawyer, and went, is this what women dress like? Uh, senator Catherine Cortez-Mazzo from New York, uh, Nevada The first Latina senator Made me new to Congress uh, and, uh, you, We've talked about her and her cheekiness This is what she said about the Muslim ban Reckless and overly broad executive order Was hastily put together without consulting Congress Or key federal agencies It's already caused chaos and distress For the families across the country We cannot stand idle while President Trump Unilaterally, unilaterally creates policy Based on xenophobia Enough is enough Linda Sanchez here in California Judy Chu Uh, from California, who we talked about earlier on the show. She ran to the airport. Closing the door to vulnerable refugees is shameful and against our values. We must, we do all we can to reverse Trump's Muslim ban order. Um, She rallied outside the Supreme Court. A couple of little quick things uh, from an article that I liked here by Matt Taibbi, also someone I found to be way too much of a Bernie bro during the election and far too critical of literally in my um, estimation. However, Matt Taibbi is a, a good writer, and an astute reporter, and has a lot of experience. And you're going to not believe this one. Trump supporters are organizing a boycott of Starbucks. This time, the crime is an insufficiently Christmassy cup, but the company's pledge to hire 10,000 refugees. Michelle Malkin ripped the decision as evidence of radical progressive tendencies. Her piece in the National Review, entitled Not All Refugees Are Welcome, expressed her, uh, uh, everything that is wrong and ignorant about the Trump movement. Forget about the obvious deficits of humanity, empathy, and generosity. Always a given with Trumpian politics. The president and mouthpieces like Malkin are also deficient when it comes to values they profess to care a lot about, specifically patriotism and self-interest. The title of this article is, The Trump Movement Can't Even Understand Self-Interest. She made a list of refugees who are not welcome. Muslim extremists, anti-American refugees, jobless refugees... One of the constant referrals of the Trump campaign was, I don't care how they come in if they come in legally. And this is what Matt Taibbi has to say. The American Refugee Program is the ultimate test case of that statement. Refugees only get here after a lengthy screening process. Each candidate's individually screened by multiple security agencies. They're fingerprinted and checked for criminal ties. Terrorist associations. Regarding her first point, that would be the last route any terrorist organization would choose to infiltrate the United States. It would like... It would be like trying to be a stowaway on a battleship. As for the rest, many years ago, I worked in Massachusetts as a counselor and translator for refugees from ex-Soviet countries. Our major task was helping them find jobs upon arrival. We would have considered it manna from heaven to be able to call upon a company like Starbucks and place the people we had coming through in job serving coffee or washing floors. We would. We had PhDs, mathematicians, surgeons, architects, and scientists who would gladly have done those jobs. I even had a lead soprano from an opera house as a client. Everyone who does this kind of work will tell you that in every group of refugees, as in every group of people, you'll find all types. There are people who come looking for a handout. There are people who complain. There are people who just want to drive a cab and buy a TV. On the whole, the refugee program is a huge net plus for everyone. The overwhelming majority of refugees have been through significant hardship They're grateful, civic-minded, and anxious to contribute. Doctors, dentists, linguists, and engineers come in willing to scrub pots and clean motel rooms. I remember a time in Australia, Jennifer and I were in a car, a cab, and the cab driver told us he'd been a doctor in Malaysia, a doctor, and was driving a cab in Melbourne. It's a win-win. Employers, specifically small business owners, tend to get personally invested in the project of helping a family in need, and they usually get a skilled and diligent worker who is urgently motivated to succeed and give back. The program is exactly, and down to the very last detail, the ideal of what our country is supposed to stand for. It's tragic we're raising a generation of people who don't understand that. Very well said. That was in Rolling Stone. You can read the whole thing. I read most of it to you, and Matt Taibbi, Judge Ann Donnelly presided over Tuesday's... Um, naturalization ceremonies. This is from the Daily News. The Brooklyn judge who temporarily halted President Trump's immigration ban um, swore in American citizens on Tuesday. Three days after she granted emergency stay blocking the removal of individuals legally authorized to enter from countries like Iraq, Somalia, and Syria, she happened to be presiding over the day's naturalization ceremonies. She said it was one of the happiest and nicest things we judges do. She made no mention of the Saturday evening ruling in her case. Um, She is awesome beyond measure. Uh, Megan Murphy wrote this on Feminist Current. It's time to ban white male Trump supporters from entering the United States. Um, The shooting suspect in Quebec, um, whose name I will not mention, um, but Trump, of course, immediately said he was a Muslim terrorist. He's not. He was a a white supremacist extremist who, through the Internet, like so many, had become indoctrinated that there was some kind of threat going on to him in Quebec. Um, by the way, the um, synagogues of uh, Quebec opened up to the to um, Muslims that week, so they could come in. Contrary to the claims of Donald Trump, the real threat to safety and security has once again turned out to be white men. It's a terri- This is what Trump said. It's a terrible reminder whilst we remain vigilant, and the president's taking steps to be proactive. The right-wing press jumped on board, claiming the suspect was Muslim of Moroccan origin and shouted al-Akbar. It turns out keeping innocent people from returning to their homes simply doesn't... Uh, Because they come from certain Muslim American nations doesn't prevent terrorist violence. Contrary to fear-mongering, racist propaganda pushed by the right, the shooting suspect in the Quebec attack is a young white man, a right-wing anti-immigrant Trump supporter who hates feminists. Do we see a through line here? Um, Almost all of these um, mass murderer types and people who go on shooting sprees are abusers of women as well, including the San Bernardino shooter. Um, The Facebook activity, the Quebec media has reported he was a fan of Richard Dawkins, the Israeli Defense Forces, and was a well-known troll in a Facebook group called Bienvenue, aux Refugees, which means welcome to refugees. And he called women feminazis. Um, She goes through a lot of names of people who shot people here. I'm not going to mention their names. The Charleston church killing, um, the seven people in California at Santa Barbara, um, the school children at Sandy Hook, the three people at the Colorado Springs Planned Parenthood Clinic, and the 14 women at École Polytechnique in Montréal. You remember what they all had in common. They're white and they hated women. Now, this isn't to say that only white men commit violence, but it's true that white American men kill more people in the United States than anyone else. Indeed, white American right-wing men are responsible for killing far more Americans in terrorist attacks than anyone else. Just to be safe, Trump should probably make sure not to let any more white men into the country. Specifically, he should keep on... Focus on keeping out racist, anti-feminist men with histories of domestic abuse and his own supporters. Uh, that was from The Feminist Current by Megan Murphy. Uh, Farhad manju writes for the New York Times and, and this is where we get uh, optimistic voices here. Um, oh, gee whiz, Jennifer's given me so much to go through here but we do have to end at a certain point. Um, Farhad Manju wrote this in the New York Times. Um, the presidency of Um, Sweet potato Stalin has been noteworthy for its speed In his first week in office um, As his president's aides won't tire of reminding us He's already put into motion Plans to do much of what he promised to do while campaigning The population's moving fast too, however Thousands rushed to the nation's airports on Saturday The protesters knew where to go They knew what to do once they arrived To command the story by making a scene Mr. Trump feeds off media attention The bigger the spectacle created, the larger he loomed in the public consciousness. What has been remarkable during the last two weekends is how thoroughly Mr. Trump's own media personage was blotted out by scenes of protesters. In a brief appearance on Saturday, he assured the nation his immigrant ban was working out very nicely. You see it at the airports. But the pictures and videos flooding our social streams put the lie to Mr. Trump's breezy announcements. Things at the airports aren't working out very nicely. And you could see it right there on Instagram. The weekend before, the inaugural address to claim the mantle of the popular will. The next day, a far larger illustration of the popular will was on display. Even for those who did not assemble on the weekend, the pictures carried special power. Something's happening out there, Anna Navarro, the Republican Never Trumper and television pundit, declared on Twitter. Something sure is. We're witnessing the stirrings of a national populist movement aimed at defeating the policies of Mr. Trump. It's a movement without official leaders. In fact, to a noteworthy degree, the formal apparatus of the Democratic Party has been nearly absent from the uprisings. Unlike the Tea Party and the white supremacist alt-right, the new movement has no name. Um... Call it the alt-left, or if you really want to drive Mr. Trump up the wall, the alt-majority. Or call it nothing. Nameless and decentralized, the movement isn't chaotic. It was hatched on social networks and is dispatched by mobile phones. It appears to be organizationally sophisticated and ferociously savvy about conquering the media. Over two weekends, the protests have accomplished something just about unprecedented and the nearly two years since Mr. Trump first declared his White House run. They've nudged him from the media spotlight he depends on. They're the only force we've seen that has been capable of untangling his singular hold on the media ecosystem. So this week, the Yemeni uh, storekeepers who run the bodegas in New York City uh, awesomely uh, had a a prayer, a a, a protest where they closed their bodegas from 12 to 8. So it included the evening call to prayer, which you can go online and see. It's a very beautiful sight. All of them kneeling down and bowing toward Mecca. And uh, uh, um, and Iman gets up and, and does the call to prayer and... This is what I love about New York City. They didn't close at 7 in the morning to all day because they wanted the breakfast trade. <laughs> they closed at noon so they could... The one thing you got in bodegas in New York is everyone comes in for coffee and sweet rolls and cigarettes, right? First thing in the morning, gum, whatever it is. Uh, no way were they going to close at 7 in the morning. This is New York City. That's lunacy. Uh, these, these are practical business people, uh, all of whom have uh, relatives uh, in the Yemen M&M that that... Um, need to get to Washington. Uh, I'm not going to read you the whole rest of the article, but you get the idea here. Here we are. Unlike Trump's hats, the pink cap came from the crowd. Thousands of knitters created them in the weeks between the election and the inauguration then mailed them off to strangers who shared their views. And I can't remember the name of that lovely woman who gave us, forgive me, uh, write me, uh, for Greg at gmail.com and remind me of your name. You were at the Bar Lubitsch show. You remember two weeks ago. You gave me delicious baked goods. You gave Jennifer the hat that she wore at the rally and we thank you. Um, Amazing hat, terrific hat, best hat ever. Uh, unlike Mr. Trump's hats, uh, there's money too. Since Mr. Trump's win, uh, the online movement has sparked millions of donations to progressive groups such as Planned Parenthood and the American Civil Liberties Union. Over the weekend, the ACLU raised, I, I think, $24 million. This is over 20, but I think it's up to $24 million. In a year, in general, they raised 3 to $4 million. That was one weekend. And we're in the fifth weekend of the year. The movement can also compel the attention of elites. Uh, between Monday and Friday Silicon Valley was transformed right Uh, uh, um, the head of uh, let's see here Um, who jumped out Uh, uh, the head of Uber jumped out Uh, 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 even um, Bob Iger here who runs Disney has uh, pulled back from being on the transition team Um, let's see here uh, Mr. Trump's immigration orders. An industry that was once merely skeptical of Mr. Trump's largely became opposed to him only because crowds forced change. There was a secret all day walkout at um, Facebook. And who was the other Comcast. one? And Comcast also um, ran out. Important the government and movement can, can command the media narrative. He's promised a lot of bold change. His boldness will involve lots of real world consequences. Millions might lose health care if he repeals the uh, ACA, many might be deported if he achieves his immigration proposals. If the last two weeks are any indication, none of this will happen quietly. There will be pictures and viral videos of real people facing hardship, and those pictures are sure to inspire hordes. When people are turned away from hospitals, when people are deported to Mexico, you will see large gatherings on Facebook and then on TV. A group of scientists are planning to march on Washington. There are other protest plans for Tax Day in April. And uh, by the way, uh, like I say, there's protests in your neighborhood all weekend long. Uh, You might wonder if they'll achieve much. Americans protested before. Uh, If Mr. Trump has proved anything, it's that everything's different now. We live in a culture ruled by social media streams in which most people are skeptical of what they see and read in the mainstream media. This explains why Stephen K. Bannon, the former executive chairman of Breitbart News, has been seeking to paint the news media as the primary opposition. Unlike the news media, protesters produce an undeniable reality. Protesters can't be dismissed as fake news. They come to you unmediated, not from the times, but from your friends and from friends of friends. They are, in other words, another version of your social network, the physical manifestation of an outraged news feed, because they're people you know, they can't easily be maligned as unbiased, as biased or unfair. When politicians take on political crowds, it ends badly. Uh, There's another reason for believing protests could prove effective. Against Mr. Trump's policies, the protesters seemed to drive him crazy. He's enamored of crowds. Throughout the campaign, he argued the polls were rigged, and his large rallies suggested they're growing out of support. The crowds, in other words, became the whole ballgame. They were the only—they uh, were the only reality that mattered. If he won the crowd, he'd win the election. Now faces the same dynamic in reverse. The crowds at his inauguration were supposed to certify his popularity. When they fizzled, and they were outmatched by opposition protests, he couldn't help relitigating the matter for days. Things haven't gotten better. Now there are crowds on every screen and every feed. The people aren't saying nice things about them. And there's something worse than that, too. They've stolen the limelight for themselves. That's why we're winning. Sometimes we lose. Sometimes we win. Um, We we talked about black history. We talked about him asking women staffers to dress like women. That's just insane. And he also complained about what Sean Spicer wore when he wears the most ill-fitting suits of all time. He looks like he's going to a barn dance. Uh, Jennifer compiled all of these things for me. He has 42 federal lawsuits against him currently. The ACLU and the National Immigration Law Center have a stay for executive order banning travel from seven countries. It was granted by District Judge Ann Donnelly, who we've spoken of. Um, the first detainee, uh, detainee was allowed back. We've talked about that. Um, that was the one in Los Angeles. That was Judge Dolly G. Um, she's the daughter of immigrants from rural China. Judge Dolly G. The ACLU's demanded documents to find out how exactly officials are interpreting and, ex- and executing the ban. Lufthansa is using Boston Airport to bring people with visas into the U.S. That might have gotten stopped as of this reading. I believe it got stopped a few minutes ago. This is Friday afternoon. Uh, Massachusetts, uh, uh, but the the judge that brought the stay, the judges that brought the stay in Massachusetts, what got overturned by a man at a higher court, were Judge Allison Burroughs and Magistrate Judith Dane. House Minority Leader uh, said um, that she'll back legislation requiring Orange Julius Caesar to take a mental health exam. Um, she also said on television that Stephen Bannon was a white supremacist twice. This is the former Speaker of the House and um, the House Minority Leader, Nancy Pelosi from San Francisco. Uh, obviously, we've talked about it before. Um, Philip Burton was our um, Representative in the 70s. Philip Burton had a heart attack and his wife, Sally Burton, took over for him. Um, her protege was Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi is from a well-connected family in Baltimore, I believe it is, where her father was also a politician. Um, Nancy Pelosi um, said this week that we need to look into his mental health and I believe a Senate, uh, a House bill is being put through that's going to require him to take a mental exam. He won't do it, of course, um, but uh, you can see that it, all these things we've talked about here, um, I, as I uh, often say on the show, I don't like using the phrase crazy because it gets bounded about too much. But Chris Silesia and the New York Times both suggested that what's going on with the opposition to him is driving him crazy in that old colloquial term. He watches television at night and when it's not favorable, he loses his mind and pulls a strike on the Yemen. Uh, Daniel Dale, the Toronto Star, who we talk about a lot on the show because he's an excellent reporter. He was the one who put the entire transcript of the Martin uh, uh, of the Frederick Douglass, uh, more and more popular Black History Month, Little Breakfast, as he called it, um, was on his um, Twitter feed. Daniel, at the Toronto Star says in two weeks of the presidency, um, Trump has made 33 false claims. Uh, he also kept a running tab of falsities during the election. If you want to know what. Trump says that's fake. I would go to Daniel Dale at the Toronto Star. Uh, the video that was part of the intel in the failed Yemen raid, uh, according to Joy Reid, who has an excellent show on MSNBC on the weekend called AM Joy, where she has on hold your breath and hold on to your, hold on to your garters. people of color and women. It's not a bunch of white guys talking about women's rights. Uh, uh, Joy Reid is a black woman. And uh, I believe is she, her parents from Africa. No, her parents are from Jamaica. Jamaica. I'm highly inaccurate. Both, both parents are, from, are, foreign. Both parents are uh, immigrants. Let's call them that, shall we? Uh, Joy Reid has an excellent show. And um, she said that the intel that the video is based on, on the Yemen raid that he performed this week, was 10 years old and available online. Um, uh, the woman who caucused for Hillary and was uh, hand-walked um, to the ballot box or to the polling booth, uh, Rulene Steninger, has passed away into the stars at 103. You can see her swirling up there tonight. Um, I've got a big job ahead of me. I've got to live. This is what she said when she was voting for Hillary. After that, okay, I can die if I want to, but I'm going to live until she's elected. She asked her daughter-in-law to send Hillary a note about the Women's March, that she'd still be fighting after she's gone. It won't bother me. I'm going to die, but I've got children and grandchildren that are going to be affected by President Trump. Uh, I love that she said she's going to fight on after swirling off into the heavens. 103 years old. Um, She was born well before women could vote. Um, a CNN poll has And many other polls That I've seen today as well Jennifer um, Has Trump as the most Unpopular new president ever It's taken two weeks He's reached a level Of unpopularity That it took um, George Bush Seven years to reach And that it took Nixon five years to reach um, Of course The Bowling Green Massacre Will never be forgotten Because it never really happened and those are some Of the easiest things Not to forget um, I think well, I have a thousand more things There was the protest In Berkeley Um which was, uh, again, I don't uh, um, promote violence. Um, Oh, here we go. Joanne Reed was born Joanne Lomina in Brooklyn. Her father was from Congo, and her mother's from British Guiana, uh, which is at the top of South America uh, in between Suriname and French Guiana, is it? Um, The two men in graduate school at the University of City. She grew up in Denver, Colorado, and went to Harvard. Mm. Uh, She's a highly intelligent reporter, and I suggest you watch her Um, MSNBC has several people that are worth watching Um, Lawrence Tribe is a professor they have on as an expert quite a lot he's very good Kurt Eichenwald uh, David Korn um, um, Lawrence O'Donnell is quite a serious journalist and uh, does a good show on there Um, and then if you like screaming you can watch Chris Matthews and even Brian Williams you can tell as measured and as calm and as even-handed as he wants to be is losing his mind over this um Eric uh little Trumpkin went to Uruguay at the taxpayers' expense to go to a hotel that they're leasing the name Trump from, and in this article in The Washington Post, it says that they don't know how much the lease is for it's between a hundred thousand dollars and a million dollars. We spent a hundred thousand dollars to send a secret service retinue down there with him for their hotel rooms. He was interviewed on Uruguayan. TV, and this is what Eric Trump said, we're going to have an amazing company and he's going to do amazing things for the United States. He's going to be an incredible commander in chief and I'm not going to be involved in politics and he's not going to be involved in the business except that a hotel in Uruguay is leasing his name for somewhere between 100000 and a $1 million. I'm not a lawyer and I don't play one on TV. That's conflict of interest. I mean, I don't, you know I've seen enough LA laws. Let me just take you back 30 years. Um, San Francisco police takes bold stance to protect Muslims. On Wednesday, San Francisco officers um, took a bold stance against Trump's new immigration laws. In response to Trump's Muslim ban, they're cutting ties between the police department and an FBI task force. Um, Cities are moving along very, very quickly. The leaders of the EU uh, slammed Trump uh, for uh, an, an ink a Libyan migrant deal. European leaders agreed to a plan to curb mass migration from Libya at a special summit in Malta friday that was overshadowed by the challenges of Donald Trump and Brexit. French President Francois Hollande lashed out at Trump, who has predicted other countries will follow Britain out of the EU. It is unacceptable there should be, through a certain number of statements by the President of the United States, pressure on Europe, what Europe should or should not be. German Chancellor Angela Merkel said, Europe has destiny in its own hands. The key issue on Europe on Friday was tackling the Libyan migration route, already having largely shut the route Syrian refugees have taken to Greece over the Aegean, thanks to a controversial deal with Turkey. As EU leaders boarded a luxury yacht to cross Malta's historic harbor to their lunch, rescue ships off Libya saved hundreds of more people, including babies from rickety boats. It's an absolute nightmare in the, red, in the med right now, said the charity Doctors Without Borders. Um, It's called in French Medicine Sans Frontieres And you can give money to them And they're a very, very worthy organization Doctors Without Borders um, Is trying to provide as much medical help as they can 181,000 mainly African economic migrants Entered the EU via Libya and Italy last year Um, It's a wild issue Let's see here Moving on The Washington Post has an article. I'm not going to read it. You can if you like. It's by Charlotte Childress and Harriet Childress. They're researchers and consultants on social and political issues. And music kicks in. They're the co-authors of Clueless at the Top, uh, a book. And this is the opinion piece. White men have much to discuss about mass shootings. And I'm only going to read you the first line. Imagine if African-American men and boys were committing mass shootings month after month, year after year. Articles and interviews would flood the media and we'd have political debates demanding that African-Americans be held accountable. Then if an atrocity such as Newtown, Connecticut took place and African-American male leaders held a news conference to offer solutions, their credibility would be questionable. The public would tell these leaders they need to focus on problems in their own culture and communities. But when the criminals and leaders are white men, race and gender become the elephant in the room. All of the mass shootings and nearly all of the mass shootings in this country in recent years, Newtown, Aurora, Fort Hood, Tucson, and Columbine have been committed by white men and boys. Yet when the National Rifle Association led by white men held a news conference after the Newtown massacre to advise Americans how to reduce gun violence, its leaders' opinions were widely discussed. Unlike other groups, white men are not used to being singled out, so we expect that many of them will protest. It's unfair if we talk about them but our nation must correctly define their contribution to our problem of gun violence. If it is to be solved, I'll let you read the rest of the article. The national arounding and American council. I wrote this and Jennifer gave it to me bills to repeal. Trump ban backed by nearly all congressional Democrats. Dianne Feinstein, um, is the judiciary, uh, uh ranking judiciary member, member of the judiciary committee. um, She introduced uh, Senate Bill 240, which would rescind the executive order. Chris Murphy, Democrat from Connecticut, who's been a a, a giant proponent of gun control because Sandy Hook is in his bailiwick, introduced legislation, um, Bill 248, to withhold funding for the executive order. Rex Tillerson was confirmed. Uh, You know, he's the head of Exxon and has extraordinary ties to Russia. You can find many pictures of him online if you wish, holding Putin I was reading from uh, the book last week that uh, was given to me in Vermont called um, Tears We Cannot Stop by the Reverend Michael Eric Dyson, and uh, it's really, really worth reading. I read you one, um, one paragraph from it last week, but I wanted to read you um, one more thing uh, since it's Black History Month. Beloved, let's try a brief thought argument. Let's apply the logic of some of your arguments about black folk to you. Take your argument we should pay more attention to black-on-black crime than white cops killing black folk because more black folks are killed by other blacks. Now let's compare the number of white Americans killed by whites to the number of Americans killed by terrorist acts. I can already feel your hair standing on end. You see how hurtful it is to make such a comparison. You see how it could miss the point of giving each cause of suffering its due. According to your logic, we should not be concerned with political acts of terror committed on American soil, because since 9-11, less than 100 people have been killed in such attacks in America, while 11,208 people were killed by firearms in 2013, and 21,175 died by suicide with a firearm. Um, The book is called Tears We Cannot Stop. I'm still reading it. Uh, It is outstanding. And the author is Michael Eric Dyson. It will really uh, set you straight, baby, uh, on a lot of jazz. Again, fivecalls.org. We're going to be on the road, and that's how we're going to end this one. Uh, Never stop the fight. Uh, We're winning on a million different fronts. Um, The smartest book in uh, the—let's see. Yeah, well, this will come out on Monday. Uh, We'll be at the Irvine Improv uh, in Orange County. Uh, That bastion of freedom and liberty. Uh, I used to do a joke about they have a, the game reserve in uh, on the way to the Irvine Improv. And I would say, what, 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 what kind of game preserve do you have in Orange County? What are their right-wing deers? Uh, we'll be there, um, 8 o'clock show at the Irvine Improv. It's going to be a podcast uh, and uh, just that. Then uh, we'll be doing um, the Bar Lubitsch on the 13th of February. And then my paperback book comes out on the 21st. The paperback version of the smartest book in the world will be at Chevalier's Books on the 23rd at 7 p.m. We'll be at Diesel Bookstore, and both of these are in L.A. Chevalier's Books in Larchmont, if you're an Angelino. Uh, Tuesday, February 28th, we'll be at Diesel in Brentwood. Um, we'll also have, I believe, a USC film crew coming to that one, or they're coming to Chevalier. Chevalier. Um, uh, and the book will come out uh, in paperback. You can buy it at gregproops.com. Of course, look for it in your local bookstores. Demand it if they don't have it. It's the greatest book ever. Um, we'll be at the Helium Club in Portland on March 4th, and that will be a book event. Uh, I'll be signing as well. also be a podcast. It'll be at 4.20 in the afternoon, dude. There's a dispensary around the corner, so you can get your swerve on. Then come over. Watch the podcast. I'm going to sign books afterward. Planned Parenthood will be there at that podcast. Then we'll be at the Crocodile in Seattle, which is a groovy nightclub downtown. That'll be on the next day, the Sunday the 5th. That one will be at night at 8 Um, o'clock. Planned Parenthood will be there as well. And we will also have books on sale there. Then you can join us in Paris for our Parisian friends. We'll be doing a podcast at Shakespeare and Company. Just where uh, Jennifer and I did the podcast at Christmas time We'll be back there in the main uh, area of the bookstore So you have to go online to Shakespeare and Company's uh, website If you want to come in It's a very limited number of seats What is it, about 50, 60? Mm -hmm. Somewhere in there Uh, We'll have some drinks We'll have some cookies and whatnot We'll probably put some wine on I'm sure they'll have some cheap plonk you can suck down And then uh, I'll get up and read from the book and, And tell some jokes And we'll have a good time in Paris And then we're all going out for French food uh, then uh, on the 13th, we'll be at the Soho Theater in London. We'll also have books available there. I think we're going to have hardback books there. I think I have a case of books stowed at the Soho Theater. We'll be cracking that out. And you will be, be there at popular prices. Then I'll be at Glasgow at the Glasgow International Comedy Festival doing stand-up on the 15th. On the 16th, I'll be doing the podcast uh, at a theater called Cotiers. I think both events are at Cottiers. I'm pretty sure we're having books there, too. We're getting close on that. Uh, then we'll be at the 24th through the 26th of March at the San Jose improv. The 26th will be a podcast. We're working on getting books for that. And we're working on getting Planned Parenthood for that. Then the 29th, I'll be in Chicago, uh, March 29th at Lincoln hall, um, which is part of the Shuba's organization there. And they couldn't have been nicer to me. Um, I played Lincoln hall last year. If you were at the Chicago uh, comedy festival, the little one, uh, I don't want to say the little one they had, they had a really nice, intimate comedy festival in Chicago, uh, Cameron Esposito was there, uh, I was there, uh, Rhea Butcher was there, and um, I did uh, Lincoln Hall, and it's a, it's a fun venue. And there's a restaurant there and a bar and whatnot. We're also going to have Planned Parenthood table there. And we're working on getting books for that one as well. So we're trying to have Planned Parenthood at every event we can uh, from here on out. Uh, it, it's a lot of different people to deal with. So that's why they're not at every single one all the time. Then, of course, in May, we'll be back at the Bell House in Brooklyn. That's May 26th for our Brooklyn friends. Who's live anyway with Ryan Stiles, Joelle Murray, uh, who's from the planet Krypton, and Jeff B. Davis, who you know as the maid on the Brady Bunch as well as uh, uh, from the uh, exquisitely crafted um, podcast Harmontown, where he plays the comptroller. And no, he doesn't know what it means either. Uh, uh, and Bob Durkatch, our musical director, will be back on the road um, on, in between doing those book events on the 25th, 6th, 7th, somewhere in there. If you go to Who's Live Anyway, we're going to be up in uh, Vancouver, I think, and um, Coquitlam. And then we're on the road all year, baby. We're going to be all over the United States. Um, in the Midwest, yes, your, your state. Uh, we'll also be up in Canada again um, in March and whatnot. And then in April, we start in earnest going back on the road uh, all through April and May. Um, uh, the East Coast, New Jersey, jazz like that. Where should I go, Greg? Who's Live Anyway? It's called Who's Live Anyway. We also have a Twitter feed. Look at us. And by the by the by the by, and this is going to shock a lot of you Luddites out there, Ryan Stiles has been dragged kicking and screaming into the new millennium. Ryan Stiles uh, from his uh, palatial lakeside castle is now tweeting. Ryan Stiles is now on Twitter and he's at who's Ryan Stiles. Let me just spell it for you. I'm not presuming you don't know how to spell who's, but a lot of people spell who's W H O apostrophe S that you'll find is who is who's is another word entirely like whose line is it anyway? And that's W H O S E, and then capital Ryan, then capital Styles. And his Twitter avatar is a delicious casserole that he's cooked. He's quite a good cook. He can also clean and gut a salmon. I don't know if you know that about Ryan Styles, but he can. I've not seen him do it, but I've seen him mime doing it. He worked on a fishing boat, he's very clever. Uh, and he wrote <laughs> awesomely as his Twitter banner I am you, you are me. Can I borrow 10 bucks? Um, I believe that it is this administration that has forced Ryan into the uh, shining light of Twitter here. He only has 9,583 followers as of this Friday, but we can all come together and uh, boost Ryan styles uh, up. He deserves many more. He is really, really funny on Twitter. For instance, here's a couple. Um, Sometimes I'd rather be anything but an old white guy. (laughs) That was from... (laughs) Today and then, um, massacre, I meant terrorist, campaign manager, I meant lying bitch. That was also from yesterday. So he has his moments on Twitter. That Ryan Stiles, uh, let's see here. Uh, and then he wrote and oh, we're shooting Who's Line by the way yes we're still on TV no I don't miss doing it no I don't miss Drew I see him I don't miss any of the Who's Line guys I'm on the road with them all the goddamn time do you understand we're going to be back on the CW with a new season Aisha Tyler Wayne Brady Colin Mockery me uh, I assume uh, Brad Johnny all your favorites um, and Ryan wrote yesterday back to shoot Who's Line with the Canadian that's, where, that's Colin next week so we're just warming up a little he's probably writing his jokes right now And then the one other tweet before that was, I was going to put Colin Mockery's face on the cheesy casserole, but I didn't have any ham. Oh, yeah. We work as high as we can. That's the credo of the Who's Line crew. Like the Reuters News Agency, before we started Who's Line, we all sat down. And in blood, we let each other's blood out of a small hole in our necks that we have, like in the movie Dune. And using that heart plug, we each wrote in blood on a piece of paper, I will make jokes about my knob to the best of my ability. You've been the smartest uh, crowd in the world. I have been the smartest man in the world. Thank you very much for listening. Everyone here with the Porpoise of Fruititude, thanks you. I wish you nothing but love. May every page you turn be a social page. You may every bell that reads for you be you, a cool public bell.